Welcome to Eagle Church. So glad you're here. If this is your first time visiting with us, we're especially glad that you're here. Those of you online, welcome. And we're talking about what it means to reawaken to Jesus during these 40 days. And today we're talking about what does it mean to reawaken to Jesus' church. And I can recall a time, I was around 10 years old, my brother and I were driving with mom and dad to the lake on Sunday morning, and we were going fishing or skiing or something like that. And uh, we were driving down the highway, and in my young 10-year-old mind, we're passing by some churches, and I keep noticing the church parking lots are pretty full, and I'm just thinking it through, thinking it through, and I finally blurred out. I said, hey, mom, dad, why are so many people getting married today? And you know that look, mom and dad, that you give one another in the front seat when the kids in the back seat ask you something like that? Like it's the look like, okay, who's going to take this one? You know, that look. And mom just turns and says, hey, there's more that goes on in church than weddings. I thought, huh. And we just kept cruising on down the road. There's more that goes on in church than weddings. And today we're going to look at the first conversation that Jesus had about this entity, this idea, this concept called the church. And we're going to look at the first conversation he had about that, and we're going to bridge it to what I think is the cultural moment God finds his church in today in 2022. So if you haven't already done so, open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 16. You should have received a note sheet on the way in. Those of you online, your online host can direct you accordingly. Matthew 16, verse 13 and following. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, now that is about 120 miles north of Jerusalem in modern day Syria. That's the context of where this conversation is occurring. He said to his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Verse 15, but what about you? Right? At some point, the question about Jesus has to get personal, right? It has to move from what do your parents think, what do your pastors think, what do your teachers think, what do your friends think? At some point, somewhere along the journey of this faith in Christ, it has to get personal. It turns to what do you say about Jesus? Who do you say that he is, right? And everybody's on their own journey, and we welcome you, whatever part of the journey you're on. Maybe you're here because your parents or your friends or your mentors or your brother, your sister, your grandparents have been encouraging you on this journey of faith. That's great, and we're glad that you're here, and the journey they're praying for you, and we're praying for you at some point, knowing about Jesus turns to knowing Jesus. Who do you say that he is? And Peter, the ever-ready spokesperson, speaks up, right? Who do you say? Who do you say I am? Verse 16, Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, just like in Peter's day, right, there's a lot of confusion, first century Palestine, about Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of opinion. There's a lot of editorial comments. There's a lot of conclusions about Jesus, first century Palestine. Some said, that guy's John the Baptist, Others say that guy's Elijah, which is a really revered figure in the Jewish faith. Or others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. There's all kinds of commentary and opinion about Jesus, first century Palestine. Not unlike today, in 2022, raise the subject of Jesus, and you got all kinds of opinions about Jesus. Some say, oh, he was a great teacher. 
Others say a historical figure. Still others, an inspirational leader. Which to me warrants, perhaps now more than any other time, let's be really, really clear with what we mean when we speak the name of Jesus here. Are you with me? We're going to be really, really clear for a moment. When we speak about the name of Jesus, we're going to agree with Peter's declaration here that we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The word Christ there that he chose is the word the Jewish people would use for Messiah, the long-awaited rescuer and redeemer of his people. That's who we believe Jesus is. We believe he's the Messiah, the Savior for the whole world. We believe he's the light and the life for all people. We believe he's the Alpha and the Omega and the Ancient of Days. We believe he was crucified, buried, and raised to life on the third day. We believe Jesus is our hope, our peace, our life, our joy, and our strength. In short, we believe Christ is all. That without him, we have nothing, and with him, we have everything. When we speak the name of Jesus around here, that's what we mean. And I think we have to get real clear on this. It was a few months ago, I was uh, greeting some folks before service. I try to get around and meet as many folks beforehand as I can, and I was out in the atrium, and this one couple approached me, and it was their first time they'd ever been in the building, and they were asking the usual kind of get-to-know-you questions, and service was just getting ready to start, and as the music began to start, the husband said to me, he said, hey, can we, can we just ask one thing before we kind of decide if we're going to stay and enter into the service? I said, sure, ask. And I figured, you know, it was something about kids ministry or student ministry or whatever. And he said this, he said, I just want to know, is Jesus a big deal around here? I stopped in my tracks. I said, I said, what do you mean by that? I, sure, there's something behind that, right? So what, tell me, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, we've been just visiting a number of churches around here and it seems like there's a lot of like, he called it like preoccupation with Jesus. He said, well, there's like all these songs about Jesus and, and there's these prayers to Jesus and there's these conversations about Jesus and teaching about Jesus. Like he just kept saying, it's Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then he said this, I'm just looking for something a little broader. I thought to myself, it was communion Sunday that day. So I said, hey, can we take a few steps towards the doorway over there? And we had the communion table set up. And I said, well, these elements here, they represent the centrality of what this spiritual community is about. It's his broken body and his shed blood. In short, I want you to know that Jesus is a big deal here. Like the worship team's now like into the first song, and I was saying, hey, notice the lyrics. It's about Jesus. And we're going to take communion. It's about Jesus. And we're going to pray some prayers. We're going to deal with sin. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to lay it down at Jesus' feet. And I'm going to have a message. And guess who the main subject of the message is? And he looks at me and he goes, Jesus? I said, yeah. And so I said, hey, you are welcome here. You are, you are welcome here. But I just want to make sure you understand that the only explanation for this community is Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, I put in your notes this way, he said it this way. Spurgeon said, if you leave out Christ, 
You have left the sun out of the day and the moon out of the night. You've left the waters out of the sea and the floods out of the river. You have left joy out of heaven. You ha- Listen to this. You have robbed all of its all. And so, church, during these 40 days, my prayer as we keep pressing into this, it's not a reawakening to prayer. It's not a reawakening to purpose and mission. It's a reawakening to a person, the person and glory and majesty of Jesus. And I pray that's happening in your heart and life and in the heart and life of our community. Because I happen to believe the question that Jesus posed Peter here in Matthew 16 in the stack of all the important questions of life that we need to get answered, I think that's at the top of the stack. I think more hinges on your response to the question who you say Jesus is than anything else. And we want to be the kind of community where you can come and discover who he really is. He is a really big deal around here. He is our everything. He is the only explanation for this gathering, for who we are and what we're doing and where we're going. It's Jesus. We believe he's the wisest and he's the best. And we want to introduce him to you. We want you to come to know this Jesus. And then right on the heels of this declaration, Jesus says, hey, if you're going to be all in with me, if you're going to have this reawakening to Jesus, follow the connection here. There's going to be this all in and reawakening to his church. Follow where it goes. Verse 17, he says, Jesus replies to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. That's Bible speak for you got it right. (laughs) For this is not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And if I tell you, you are Peter, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build, circle in your Bibles, my church, and the gates of Hades, or some of your translations say hell, will not overcome. So the first thought that had to go through the disciples' minds right here, and Peter's mind is, what in the world is he talking about? I will build my church. No one talked like that. Like, no one said things like, I'll build, what is a church? The first thing I'd be, what is a church? Like, Abraham never said, like, there wasn't a, a religious leader who spoke like this. Abraham never said, I'll build my synagogue. Buddha never said, I'll build my temple. Muhammad never said, I'll build my mosque. But Jesus said, I will build my church. And as they got to know what Jesus is talking about, and as he unpacked it more, he started to realize it's not about a physical structure. Jesus was talking about an all-inclusive community of people. He was talking about a living organism, a spiritual family. Jesus speaking about the church. The church would bring people together from all ethnic groups, in all social classes, in all economic backgrounds, Men and women, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, religious and non-religious. The church would care for the needs of those who couldn't care for themselves. That's what the church would be about. The church would look out for the oppressed and the widows and the orphans. The church would spread a knowledge of God's love to the ends of the earth. Every nation is going to be touched by the church of Jesus. The church would pray for people who are a part of their community, for sure. But the church would also pray for people who were trying to break apart their community. That's what the church would do. The church would extend care and love and grace and support for its members. But perhaps one of the most kind of startling realities of Jesus' church and this entity he was creating was 
this group was actually praying and caring and supporting for its non-members, like it was existing for the well-being of those who weren't yet a part of its family. The world had never heard of such a thing. They'd never been introduced to a kind of community like that. Oh, there were groups and there were organizations, but it was never built around these kinds of values. The church was Jesus' idea. Jesus thought up the church. The church wasn't created by man. It was created by the Son of God. Jesus said, I will. Do you notice? I will build my church. So Jesus, the genesis of the church is Jesus, and the sustaining power is Jesus. He created it, he sustains it, and he'll carry it on to completion. Boy, that's an encouraging word for us today. The church is his. It's not ours, it's his. I will build my church. And then he uses that imagery in verse 8. The gates of hell aren't going to overcome it. Translated to today, and nothing's going to stop it. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to get this going. I'm going to help you understand it. I'm going to create this community. And nothing and no one is going to stop it. Like dysfunctional pastors and leaders won't stop it. Sin by its members won't stop it. Opposition by its non-members won't stop it. Government officials won't stop it. Economic downturns won't stop it. Global pandemics won't stop it. Partisan politics won't stop it. Public opinion won't stop it. Cancel culture can't cancel it. Come on now. Amen, right? Rome, Caesar, Herod, Pontius Pilate, they can't stop it. Executing its founder won't stop it. Executing its followers won't stop it. And that's why Jesus says the gates, like hell has to have gates. You understand? Like gates are static. Gates are designed to keep things out. Hell has to have gates. Why? Because Jesus says, hey, you know who's on the offensive in this equation? Jesus and his people and his kingdom and his mission and his presence. The light and power of Christ is taking territory. The church of Jesus is the offensive player in history. So hell, you better have some gates because evil and darkness and injustice and sin and deception, we're coming and taking that ground. That's Jesus. Nothing's going to stop it. And when you woke up this morning, if you woke up as a follower of Jesus, you woke up engrafted into his bride. You're a part of this mission. You're a part of this ministry. You're a part of this work. He created it, he sustains it, and he promises to carry it on to completion. Even church in 2022, even after the last two years, guess what? Jesus' church is still here. We're still here. We're here, our little expression here in Zionsville, Indiana, Eagle Church, we're still here. Jesus' church right now is numbering 37 million local churches, rough count, 190 nations, about 2 billion people will gather this weekend in his name, in local congregations in 190 nations. 37 million or so is still here. (laughs) Jesus is still doing what he said he would do. I will build my church, I will build my church, right? Church, it's not 
Eagle is not our church. Eagle is Jesus' church. Eagle's been Jesus' church since Carrie and Melissa Bowman gathered a few of us together on West Signature Inn, West 38th Street in 1992. And I remember Carrie and Melissa standing up and saying, Hey, this is Jesus' mission. This is Jesus' bride, bought with his blood, will be carried and sustained by his spirit. If you want to jump in on Jesus' train and Jesus' mission, you can come and be a part of this church. It's called Eagle Church, but it's Jesus' church. It's not Peter's church. It's not Andrew's church. It's not Mary's church. It's Jesus' church. Any local body that's committed to the vision and values of the New Testament is Jesus. He said, I'll build it, and nothing's going to stop it. Even 2020, even 2021, it's not going to stop it. We're still here. And there's this scene, I think, that Peter and the group had to be had. It's like, they were clearly understanding what it meant to get linked up with, like to be all in with Jesus, and now Jesus is wedding it to. He's like, hey, if you're going to be all in with me, you're going to be all in with this entity called a spiritual family known as the church. You get nothing in the New Testament about a vision of flourishing spiritually and not being deeply invested and involved in some local body somewhere. It doesn't have to be here. It just has to be somewhere where the name of Jesus is clear, where Jesus is a big deal, where the word of God is proclaimed clearly. And there are many. I was so encouraged by that conversation I had in the atrium that we had so many local churches in our community. There's so many great churches in our area where this one couple who's looking for a little broader, less Jesus-centered experience, he said, I'm having trouble finding that place. And I was like, Amen. That's really good. And the last kind of part of that dialogue was, I said, I'm not sure we're probably going to be the best spiritual home for you. But if you want to learn more about the centrality of Jesus, you certainly are, are welcome here. But it, yeah, we're going to probably annoy the heck out of you with Jesus. <laughs> and so there's the first conversation about the church. It's kind of the historical backdrop of where we've been as a local body. And if you study church history, you can see the eras that the church has gone through. And and that brings us to what I think is a, a moment, a narrative. I want to put some language to where I think Jesus finds his bride today. And our local expression is a part, I think, of this cultural moment. And to do that, I want you to look at Acts 14. It's not in your notes. You just have to follow on the screen up here. Just write Acts 14 in your notes there. You can look it up later. The context is this. The Apostle Paul goes into a city called Lystra, which hadn't heard a lot about Jesus. Jesus was not a big deal in Lystra, but Paul's bringing Jesus into that setting, and he comes across a man who's paralyzed from the waist down, and he heals him in Jesus' name. As you might imagine, that created quite a stir in the community. The community starts like running out and they want to like bow down and worship Paul. They want to build like a church for Paul. They call him Hermes and Zeus, Paul and Barnabas. They call Paul Zeus and they call Barnabas Hermes. They're like the local gods. And they're like, these gods, Paul and Barnabas, they've come down to, and, and there are, they're like in human flesh. And Paul and Barnabas, whoa, they're like, hey, 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 we're just humans like you. But we're going to be real clear 
we're just humans like you, but we're representing something that's not like us. We're representing a name and a power and a presence that made that man walk. Talk about the gospel of Jesus. And so it's Paul doing what Paul's been doing. If you know the book of Acts, that's kind of day in the life for Paul. Well, the community's response as they stirred up all kinds, here's what it says in verse 19 of Acts 14. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Now, when it says won the crowd over, that would be persuading them that Paul and Barnabas are not who they should be joining up and listening to what they're teaching. So they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Now, look at this verse 20. But after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. So church, here's our cultural moment, I believe. Tired, but resolved. Do you just see this? The cumulative effect of the last two years for Jesus' church, not just our expression, but if you are networked and connected at all to other church leaders, and if you pay attention at all to kind of the movement of Jesus' mission in the world, the last two years have been a bit like in the language of Acts 14. We've been kind of taken outside the city gates of Lystra. We've been kind of drugged. We've been beaten up a little bit. We've taken a few shots. (laughs) We're a bit bruised. We're weary. But it's time, right? Here's the picture, right? That's If you've been leading in any sphere over the last two years, you feel the effects of that. But then I want you to see with Paul, like, this is Paul, like, there's a resolve in the midst of his weariness, right? He's got a black eye and a bloody lip, and he gets the disciples around him, and they must pray. They probably speak life. They're probably speaking encouragement. There's this resolve to rebuild and regroup. Do you see that? To rise up and go back into the city. That's our cultural moment. That's where we are as the church of Jesus. It's to be honest about the waves of what we've been battling over the last two years. The cumulative effect of kind of taking shots. Right? The church of Jesus over the last two years, it's been rough on some fronts. Lost some really well-known leaders and pastors. Lost some people. The stats show, right, the church is losing momentum. The church is losing people. The church is losing pastors. The church is taking shots. Some of it's self-inflicted. Others, it's just part of the cultural moment we're living in. But listen, it's clear. We might be drug outside the city gates for a bit. We might be a bit bruised, and we've taken a few shots. But we're still here. We're still here, and it's time to come together to regroup, rebuild, and with fresh sense of resolve, rise up and go back into the city, which in the language of today is get back on the front edge of what Jesus wants his church mission to be about, impacting the darkness out there, pushing into the gates of hell, right? Hell better have some pretty strong gates because Jesus' church is going to rise up in 2022 and beyond. That there's nothing that's going to stop it. And we're going to go forward in the power of His Spirit. We might have a few less folks who, some people jumped off the Jesus train in the last two years. There's a whole bunch of sifting that's been done in Jesus' church over the last two years. And I don't know what He's doing with all that, but I know whomever is left, whatever remnant of God's people is left, Jesus says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell are not going to overcome it. Let's get going. 
You might be drug outside the city gates. Time to regroup, speak some life, speak some encouragement, bandage each other up, regroup, rebuild, rise up, and go back. That's our moment, I think, as Jesus' church. I don't think it's just Eagle Church's moment. I think it's a shared moment for Jesus' church, especially North American expression of Jesus' church. It is our moment to rise up and to go back. Tired, but resolved. March 11th, 2011. You may remember where you were when you first were scrolling your phone images for the 9.1 magnitude earthquake that occurred off the shores of Japan that day. Here's a scene from some of the footage that no doubt scrolled because it launched then the largest tsunami wave that the island of Japan had ever encountered. The wave reached 132 feet at its height. It went six miles inland. And do you remember, for those of you who can recall, what it was like to kind of scroll through the feed of the wiping out of entire communities? Everything that was there just completely gone. Fifteen plus thousand people lost their lives in the midst of that. So from an earthquake to a tsunami wave that washes off, there was another crisis that began to creep up shortly, a few days afterwards, because the leaders in Japan realized the earthquake and the tsunami wave kind of fractured the structure of the nuclear power plant that was in Japan. Do you remember this? And so now they've got an earthquake, a tsunami wave, and a nuclear crisis. Well, in the middle of that dynamic, one of Japan's most famous musicians... Ryuchi Sakaamata. Here you can see a picture of him. You may not have known the name. I didn't know the name well, but you know his work. He's a composer that's so well known in Japan and now worldwide. He won a Grammy. He won an Oscar. Sakamoto, he wrote a lot of the music for a lot of the movies that you know and love. He's the one who composed it. They said his, his unbelievable skill. He's a classic rock star character in the country of Japan. So Ryuchi Sakamoto, he's obviously devastated with what's happening in his country, and he begins to ask himself, what can I do with the gifts that I have and the role that I have in this nation? What can I do to help? And he learns through a sequence of events that there was a grand piano that survived the tsunami. Have you heard this story? So the, a grand piano was washed up and carried along by this massive wave, and it landed in the center of a high school auditorium. Not, no one in the high school knew anything about this grand piano. It literally arrived because of the massive wave and just the scattering of debris. I mean, if it put a yacht on the top of a building, you could see, like it just transported. And this Grand piano lands in the center of this high school auditorium. It's weathered, it's beaten, it's warped. And the high school leaders, they decide to contact the best-known piano player in their country, Takamoto. And they ask if he would come and inspect the piano. So Ryuchi Sakamoto, in the middle of a three-pronged 
crisis of an earthquake and a tsunami wave and a nuclear disaster, he finds his way to this high school auditorium. And the few that were gathered with him said he walked into the auditorium with a reverence. He approaches the grand piano and he, the, the leaders at the school said, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not sure it's any good, but it just kind of landed here. And you could see the water line where the water had, and you could see it's warped and it's keys and it's, I mean, it looks like it's been through an earthquake and a tsunami, but there it is. And Sakamoto sits down, and he places his hands upon the keys, and he turns to the small group that was there. He says, I've come to see if it will still play a sound. And he begins to strike the keys. And what came out of that grand piano, it was broken. It was out of tune. But the group, with tears running down their face, said, it was beautiful. And church, when I think about 2022, and I think about Jesus' people, and I think about the waves of tsunami-like trauma that we've all been working through in varying levels, mental health trauma, emotional trauma, physical trauma, spiritual trauma, cultural trauma, political trauma, the waves and waves and waves. I think it's Jesus Church that is, right, navigating all those waves and has landed on the center stage of history. And I think this is a cultural moment where the Grand Master himself, Jesus, will sit at his piano and will place his hands on the keys and he will find that his church, though, hey, definitely weathered. I mean, if we haven't all aged in like dog years the last two years, warped, out of tune, but still here. We're still here. Jesus' people are still here. We're still his bride, bought with his blood. And we bear the scars of whatever these last couple years are. We've been drug outside the city gates. We've taken a few shots. But it's time, church. It's time to regroup and rebuild. And with great resolve, rise up and go back. It's time. And the master will lay his hands on that key. And he will begin to play. And you will hear music that no doubt broken. But I believe we will declare beautiful because to be reawakened to Jesus is to be reawakened to Jesus church they are one and the same to be all in with Jesus is to be all in with his bride and nothing and no one and no circumstance is going to stop it and if you're here and you You've not even thought about what it means to get linked up with Jesus' church. I, I can't think of a bigger and better mission to give your life to than this one. To just say, there's no better time to sign on the dotted line and say, I'm going to be all in with Jesus, and I'm going to be all in with his bride. I'm going to get up, I'm going to regroup, I'm going to rebuild, and with great resolve, I'm going to get back at it. Because the grand master of history, rest assured in this, he's writing his story. His church will get built. 
His kingdom will come. His will will be done. His glory will get to every corner of this world. It will happen. And I think right now, (laughs) we're just right now, we're coming in. We're that grand piano in the center of the auditorium of history. And it's our moment now. It's our moment to rise up and to let his music play through our broken, but by his grace, beautiful vessels. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the image, the vision, the picture that you would have of calling your people to be a part of something that they didn't even have a context of what that meant. But we just want to agree together Who do we say you are? We believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're our Alpha and Omega. You're our Lord. You're our Savior. Jesus, you're our everything, and we worship you. And would you use these 40 days, the beginning of this year, to just stir a reawakening to you deep in our hearts. And then draw us, graft us back into spiritual family. Man, these last two years, we've been scattered and sent abroad in so many ways. By the power of your spirit, would you just graft us back in to what it means to be a community, a family in Jesus. That with great resolve, by the power of your spirit, you'd help us regroup and regather and and rebuild. And that you'd send us back out. think of so many today who feel really, really weary from the cumulative effect of these last two years on all kinds of levels. Refresh them by the power of your spirit, I pray. And then lift up our eyes and give us a vision for the music that you will yet play. We love you, we worship you, and we trust you.